On this episode of the Cultivate Church Planning Podcast, we're talking with Nathan Knight, the author of the book, Planting by Pastoring. Nathan has planted several churches over the years, and he shares his insights on what it takes to plant a successful church. We'll discuss the importance of character over charisma, the need for a team, and how to avoid carnal motivation. We'll also talk about the difference between planting a church and starting a business, and how church planters don't necessarily have to be entrepreneurs. I'm joined by co-host Nick Cady, and today's episode is a thought-provoking one for up-and-coming church planters. The Cultivate Church Planting Podcast is part of CGN Media, a podcast network that points to Christ. Check out cgnmedia.org for more great shows and ways to support the ministry. All right, here's Nathan Knight and Nick Cady, Planting by Pastor. Nathan has written a book, Planting by Pastoring, and uh, I was fortunate enough to get to read that book last week. And um, it's awesome that he's able to be here with us, and I really appreciate you being here, Nathan. So thanks for being on the, the show. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, and Nick's back, and uh, Nick is the, uh, the brainchild of the Cultivate Church Planting um, Network and, and program that we're doing with CGN. So thanks for being here, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, and Nick is uh, going to co-host a little bit here. We'll talk with Nathan about the advice that he can give being an experienced church planter and author, not only author, but author of a book about church planting. So I think we're going to get a lot of wisdom, uh, hopefully. So no pressure. Yes, no pressure, Nathan. Yeah, ho- hopefully is the, right, <laughs> is the operative word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we will. But why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, Nathan? Tell us kind of where you're from, what your background is, and what you're doing. Yeah, uh, married to my wife, Andy, of 20 years, two, two boys, almost said little boys, they're not so little anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was, came to faith in Christ at the age of 19 and um, was in the business world for about five years. And um, the Lord led me into seminary at Southeastern in North Carolina and just caught a vision for the church that first semester by professor. And then from that desire to either do some kind of revitalization or planting was led towards planting because, well, I don't think I was very patient. Uh, and so <laughs> I have a high level of respect for those that are trying to revitalize churches. And so was led down that path and went to a church planting residency uh, at our church there called North Wake. That was the church that planted us, North Wake, there in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And uh, we landed on Washington, D.C., for uh, a number of reasons and moved here May the 1st, 2009. Uh, Didn't know a soul, we weren't from here. And uh, me and another couple who came four months later, Joey and Paige and his family came and uh, moved here not having known anyone. May the 1st, 2009, covenanted together with 18 members, March 28th, 2010, and we're still going. Nice, you meet any uh, politicians there, Washington, D.C.? No, not many. We're on. We're inside the city, but Capitol Hill is kind of on the east, and so we're we get all of the the nonprofits and the um, the like medical people and stuff like that, and State Department folks. So not too many okay. political. Some, but not many. <laughs> all right, and Nick, um, you're uh, heading up the Cultivate uh, program through CGN, and that's going awesome. I can attest to that. You know, we Nick and I work together. We see each other almost on a weekly basis, bi-weekly basis. So um, how's it going, Nick? What's going on with Cultivate? Give us an update. 
It's good. I love seeing you every week, Brian. I get to see your ever-changing facial hair. It's always exciting. <laughs> What's it going to be today? So um, great mustache, by the way. And oh, uh, yeah, we just uh, I just got back from California. We just had one of our Cultivate gatherings. So we like to do these regional gatherings kind of to take the pulse of church planting and also to gather pastors and leaders together as well as potential church planters and say, like, hey, where are you guys at with church planting? What's the Lord doing? And then how can we come alongside and be an aid to you? And then we're encouraging people to pledge to plant because it's part of our vision to see a thousand gospel-centered churches planted over the next 10 years. Awesome. Good summary. Amen. All right, let's jump right in, uh, Nathan. The book, Planting by Pastoring. Um, when I first saw the title, I mean, first of all, it's it's by uh, it's within uh, nine marks, right? That's the... Kind of the distribution of it what's right what's the yep. book about right yep yeah so in the world of church planning as you guys probably know maybe better than me there's there's uh there's this emphasis on being entrepreneurial which is not in and of itself a bad thing but i think what can happen in the midst of emphasizing entrepreneur entrepreneurialness if that's even a word uh um we lose sight of the fact that church planners ought to be pastors, right? That's, you're trying to plant a church, churches are led by pastors. And so in light of that, I think there is not this kind of emphasis that I think scripture would have us to, to hold on to. And that is that churches are led by pastors, therefore planters are not primarily to think of themselves as entrepreneurs. They're to think of themselves, they ought to think of themselves as pastors endeavoring to form congregations for the glory of Christ. And so that's kind of the emphasis. Yeah. To try to not, I don't want to take away from being entrepreneurial. That's fine to talk about those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting because um, and the, it's, it's almost like that's what, uh, that's what people say to you when you want to plant a church. It's almost like the first question Do you have an entrepreneurial uh, way about you? Do you have that in your toolkit? Is that, you know, it's, that's almost like number one Are you an entrepreneur? And then you get some of these guys That's who right. maybe aren't yeah. so entrepreneurial and who aren't comfortable, you know, you know, doing those sorts of things, and they're they're almost disqualified. Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right, Brian. There's kind of two sides of that conversation, right? So you pointed to one, which I think is important. You get these guys that are faithful, godly men that may, maybe that maybe because their personality is not so exuberant, maybe they won't sort of garner hundreds or whatever the case may be, but they might be able to garner fifty or a hundred. Right. And, but because we're not emphasizing what scripture emphasizes, those guys can get overlooked. And then on the other side of the picture, by emphasizing being entrepreneurial, you might put guys in the pulpit uh, who don't need to be there because they're not qualified to be pastors. And so therefore, <laughs> you kind of start the thing. You might get a bunch of folks, but then it's a mess. Right. So if we just go right down the center where scripture is emphasizing on what a church is and what a church does and who leads it and who doesn't, man, we're going to be setting ourselves up really nicely great and you're part of a network that is uh planting churches and you've seen your emphasis on this pastoring rather than entrepreneurial focus um you've seen that happen what's the what's the success of these churches like what are you what are you seeing practically so i'll give you one example brian so we have a monthly gathering here in our city that we started i would strongly encourage your listeners to do the same thing it sounds like nick just you just did this but uh, we gather once a month inside the city, and I just started inviting any church planners just to come and let's get together. Let's help each other. Let's not work against, against each other. Let's work for mm -hmm. each other. And uh, those we've been meeting now for, I don't know, 10 years, 
and all the guys in that room, save maybe one, there's about, about 10 or so of us that meet monthly, and all the guys in that room are pastoring churches under 50 people. And they have been kind of less than 50 people for years. And man, but those brothers love Jesus. They love their wives. They love their people. They're spreading the gospel. They're tabling at festivals. They're, you know, they're doing all kinds of evangelistic things. But they're, the Lord has not brought about the kind of growth that they themselves would like. But man, they're doing fantastic. They're doing such really good and important work, caring for the saints that are there. And I think the Lord is pleased in that. And so I think that would be a good example of those that might be uh, kind of emphasizing what Scripture seems to emphasize, not getting rid of the entrepreneurialness, just relegating it below the things that Scripture uh, emphasizes. And in so doing, these brothers might not have, you know, churches that, you know, write books, but at the same time, man, they're doing such good work. And I think the more that we do that, the healthier the kingdom is. Yeah. Nick, what was that statistic that you talked about um, at our last conference we were at? Something about how the majority of churches are smaller churches. What's what's that all about? Yeah. So the majority of churches in North America are um, 80 people. So the average, sorry, the average church size of a church in North America, Protestant church, is 80 people. And, you know, that takes into account the fact that there are mm -hmm. plenty of churches over 80 people and there are plenty of churches under, which means that uh, if you are pastoring a church of 50 people or so, uh, globally and historically, that's a pretty normal church. That's a pretty healthy mm -hmm. church as well. I mean, it can be a healthy church. I mean, I'm sure there are reasons why churches that are churches stay small that are not good. And I'd be curious, Nathan, to hear from you a little bit on that. Like, you know, a few years ago, there was a controversial statement made by Andy Stanley where, I don't know if you caught that one, I don't pay attention to everything he says either, but he said something along the lines of, like, if um, if you are a small church, basically you're doing a disservice to your people by being small, and especially to, like, the kids in the church and mm -hmm. things like that, so you should just basically close up and send all your people to the local mega church like his. What are your <laughs> thoughts on that? Oh. oh. That, that, like, I have a physical reaction to that quote, Nick. My mercy. I mean, oh, my goodness. Um, okay, lots of things to say about that. So I think, first off, let's just speak theologically for a second. By saying stuff, something like that, that would presume, that quote presumes that there's something that we can do to sort of manufacture numbers. And that instinct is incredibly unhealthy. And not only is it unhealthy, it's 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 possibly it's possibly blasphemous, right? It's Jesus that builds his church. It's not us. Yes, we are the means to that. Of course we are. However, uh, what we do is Jesus teaches in Mark 4, right? We spread the seed and we water that seed, but we go to sleep and the Lord brings the growth and we know not how. And so therefore, by someone saying that you do a disservice to you know, uh, to the people because it's small, that presumes a kind of humanity-centered thinking that I think is incredibly unhealthy, potentially blasphemous. And then it, be it begins to introduce all kinds of other questions I have going on in that church. But uh, size, this is one of the things I try to emphasize in the book, size does not get to determine success in the eyes of God. And so that little, that little Afghani church meeting in a cave somewhere with eight people is probably going better than a whole lot of churches here in the United States of America. And so size, yeah. that's fine to evaluate it, right? I'm okay with that, right? The New Testament acts, they're numbering people. That's fine. But we only ought to be determining success, not by numbers, but by faithfulness. 
Amen. And that quote well, presumes a kind of, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I got, there's a quote from your book that I wrote down. I really loved it because you're talking about um, what is success in a church, which is what we're talking about here. And you said, what is success? I've spent enough time telling you what church planning success is not. It's not what you read in most church planning books. It's not what you find at most church planning conferences. So what does success in church planning look like? And then your answer is, it looks like biblically defined churches led by biblically qualified pastors who lead the church to worship and enjoy the risen Savior together as a family. We want to plant oak trees, not dandelions. We want to know names. I love that last part. Oak trees, not dandelions. What does that mean, Nathan? Yeah. Well, once again, I'm trying to push back against the more popular notions of being entrepreneurial, right? We, we look at some of these big gatherings, maybe you're on TV, maybe that are sort of known to us, and we look and say, well, look at those guys. They're, they've got books and conferences and a lot of people gathering, and therefore they're the ones doing really well. And maybe they are. Maybe they are. But I, I don't, just because you have a lot of people doesn't mean you're failing either. So it's, I, I want to have more people. I trust you brothers do too. So this idea of oaks, not dandelions, is, is, is we want to aim and emphasize the things that Scripture does and then trust God for the results, whether that be 10 or 10,000. And so therefore, that notion of biblically defined churches. So when, right, when we go into the field and we try to start a church, here's my definition of a church. What we're trying to do is we're trying to um, get a regular gathering of Christians. There's, here's my definition. A regular gathering of Christians... Uh, that have agreed or covenanted together to preach the gospel, to portray the gospel, that's baptism, Lord's Supper, and loving one another, and then protect the gospel through membership and discipline, right? That binding and loosing, Matthew 16, so as to make clear to the world who is Christ and who's not. And insofar as you're doing that, whether you have 10 or 10,000, man, that is fantastic. That is truth. That is success. That is good. And the the quote-unquote church that has a whole bunch of folks that's not emphasizing those things, well, I don't know that we should look to that as much, if at all. So focus on what Scripture is emphasizing as what a church is, and then let the other chips fall where they may. Hey, Nathan, I've got a question for you. You know, you mentioned earlier you landed in D.C., and at some point you covenanted with 18 people. Um, I just spoke with a church planter. He's going to Knoxville, and... He was just kind of talking to me about he's mm. got some ideas and strategies for how he plans on meeting people, but he doesn't actually have anybody, right, right. who's, like, committed to this. He's, he's going in there. He knows yep. the area a little bit, but he doesn't know any people who want to be part of a church plant. And so um, any thoughts mm. or advice, maybe just tell your story. Like, okay, you land in D.C. How'd you get 18 people? I mean, like, for me, yeah. I remember as a church planter, man, the idea of having 18 people, it seemed like insurmountable. Like, how am I mm-hmm. going to find 18 people? And just to even get started. So tell us a little bit yeah. about that and any advice you have for those doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just so I'm clear on that, when we moved here, it was me and my wife and Joey and his wife. So we had part of that 18 was four of us and we didn't know those other 14 people. So we started similar to the way this guy did, except one thing. One thing I'd want to say to this brother is, brother, beg God to try to find somebody else to go with you. Um, I know that he sounds like he's already on his way there, but man, just plead with the Lord to find another team member. Jesus sent people out two by two. God is in himself in community. There's so much discouragement and difficulty in church planning. Man, really try to find someone else to go with for a thousand reasons, which I won't belabor here. 
That's one way you can get go after those other you know, 14 or 18 is by trying to get more feet on the ground to have somebody to do life with. I could talk about that for a while, but in terms of meeting people, you know, what we did was the same things, pretty basic stuff. We actually, we were bivocational, so me and Joey, even though we were both uh, kind of managerial level at our jobs before in the, in the secular world, we took up jobs at Starbucks. I didn't have a congregation, so I had plenty of extra time and I needed money. So, uh, man, I met a ton of people through Starbucks. Joey met a ton of people through Starbucks. Uh, I started volunteer. I'm a big baseball guy. I volunteered coaching Little League, and I played in a softball league. I met people there. Um, uh, I went to a partner church across the city, which is you know, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and, um, and just met some of the pastors there. They introduced me to people that lived on our side of town. Uh, my wife was meeting people as she took our kids to the parks. Through all of these things and more, the Lord garnered those people, and we just started bringing them into our home. Uh, the best thing that we did, guys, I don't know about you guys, I'd love to hear y'all speak into this, uh, was bringing people over to dinner, just inviting them over to our kitchen table and having them in and get to know them so that we're not trying to use them to build our business church, as it were. We're just trying to love them and help them to know Jesus. Brian, you, you recently went to an area which was new to you. I mean, how'd you get your first 18 or so? Well, that, that's it's a little bit of a long story, but we're it was a unique situation because we had, just for you, Nathan, you don't know much about me, but we've planted churches before. We were missionaries in East Africa for 10 years, um, and we planted churches in several different Crazy. places. So I did, I did not have a desire nor intention to plant a church in Florida. We were living in New Zealand. I was pastoring. I was replanting, in a sense, a church that was there or kind of renovating it. And, uh, but COVID hit, we moved back to the States. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, but we moved over, uh, mm. at, during COVID because of the strict lockdowns there. And our, our kids were over here in the States at Bible college, but, um, I had no intention of starting a church in Florida. And one of the, one of the things that kind of God showed me that this was what we were supposed to be doing is the fact that multiple different people separately were calling us and asking us if we would plant a church. And if we did they would come and be a part of it. For example, my brother, who's a worship leader, and um, he said, you know, I don't know what you guys are planning, but if you want to plant a church, we'll move anywhere you move, and I'll, I'll lead worship for you. Um, my brother-in-law said, hey, there's this place in Florida called Anna Maria Island. We want to start it in there. We're moving out of California. Will you help renovate it? Because I have some construction background. Will you help renovate it? And then we'll help you plan a church and we'll, we'll do a lot of the funding for that and everything. So, and then another couple from Colorado, Josiah and Anya, that, that Nick knows, we knew them from Bible college. They called out of the blue saying, hey, we really feel like God's you know, leading us to do something. We heard you're moving back to the States. We want to be a part of this church plant. So they came as well. So we ended up starting with a team of about, there was a couple of others too, a team of about 12 people on our core team. So that was kind of... Praise the Lord. I know the difficulties, and I, that's a, that's yeah, that's, a unique that, story. That's not normal. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Nathan. Yeah, there's so many different ways, you know, the, uh, to gathering a team together. So, you know, Brian, you've got this thing to where people are already interested kind of coming to you beforehand, and then you got our story where we come in, kind of parachute in, don't know a soul, and kind of bold people up. But I think in both of our stories, doesn't it, it shows the Lord, like Paul in Corinth, I've got people in this city, right? Just go move there. Mm -hmm. Pray, spread the gospel, talk to your friends and neighbors, and see what the Lord does. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. In terms well, there's of a lot of things that, can that I, we can I did. Answer that real quick, Brian. Sorry, go quick? ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. Yeah. God, just make sure and get clear a clear statement of faith. You don't want people on your team that believe a different gospel or something than you do or a different God. Get get a statement of faith early that you're going to agree on. <laughs> and then related to that, have a clear philosophy of ministry. How is it we're going to do this ministry? Get so clear on that, right? Not just what you believe, but how we're going to live out what we believe. And then second, after that statement of faith and philosophy of ministry, um, find out people. Brian, your, your example, who knows you? Who's interested in you? Trust you. We'll follow you. And then third, get really clear on expectations and roles, right? Man, I've known church plants that have fallen apart because a guy joined a church plant thinking he was going to plant another one in like a year and get this thing. And they're like, no, what? You know, so get clear on expectations and roles. Pray a ton. And then lastly, ask the elders or leaders of your church that you're at. And then all of this, the Lord can bring together these different stories to bring about a team. That's a good one. I think, um, yeah, with us, it was it was that coming in with a bigger team, but we still had to meet people. I mean, it's not just us now. So I love that. I love that advice. That's good yeah. stuff, Nathan. Um, you talked about the guy who wanted to plant a church right after he was there. And um, that kind of leads into another question that I had that you really answered answered well in the book. And that is, how can we as more established churches have that um, mentality of planting other churches? Like, how can we make that part of our, another guy that we had on the show here said, part of the DNA. How do we, how do we establish that as being church planting churches? Because you talk in the book about parachurch organizations and some of the, you know, differences that are there. Why don't you go ahead and address, address that topic? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you want to, some people call it planting pregnant. You know, you want to, you know, try to plant in such a way as to, to plant other churches. And, um, yeah, that's, I, I, first off, I want to just give one bit of warning. I, I've seen other large church planting entities say that the goal, which I'm sure we'll probably come back to in our conversation later, but the goal of church planting is to multiply. And, and I just want to say, no, it's not. It's not. That's not the goal. But it is a goal. It's not the goal, but it's a goal. Uh, so, yeah, how do you do that? I, I think, one, some people, there's a couple ways of doing this. One, people like this church plan I mentioned, they came in kind of planting pregnant. They knew that this other team member was going to eventually plant a church. What they weren't clear on is when that would happen. So that's one way of doing it is maybe you like this guy going to Knoxville. Uh, so maybe, you know, when the guy comes into Knoxville, he gets another guy with him knowing that two, three, four years from now, you know, based on some expectations, they're going to send them out. So that would be one way is you get a team member with the expectation that that other team member is going to plant. Another one is, is you just pray and ask God to raise up somebody. You're constantly casting that vision to the church that you're leading, that one of the reasons we want to plant is not just to plant this church, but to help support planting other churches. So you're casting that vision. And who knows what the Lord might do to raise up people out of those people you're reaching. I've seen that happen numerous times. And so you planting with a guy that's going to plant, you're casting that vision. And thirdly, what we did at our church, we wanted to start a Spanish-speaking church for a number of reasons. And I can't speak Spanish, and uh, none of the people in a well, we had plenty of people in our church that spoke Spanish, but none of them were ready to lead one. And so we did the kind of more traditional route of just talking to our friends and neighbors to know if anybody is bilingual that shared that statement of faith and that philosophy of ministry that was interested in planting a Spanish-speaking church in D.C. And we just begged God and prayed, and the Lord raised one up. So there's three ways, I think, to go about that work is, yeah, is planting pregnant, two, calling it, and three, going and finding a planner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Hey, uh, this is really practical, but I would be curious on both of your thoughts on this is, um, you know, just talking with planters that I'm in contact with, you know, they'll often say, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to move to this town and I'm just going to be there for like eight months, you know, making relationships, getting a job, getting established. And then we're going to start promoting the church Mm -hmm. and planting and things like that. That's very different than the way that I did it, but also... You know, in my two cases of planting a church, it was always I moved there because there was already a small group of people meeting who wanted a church plant. So, um, you know, that's another way that that can happen. But what are your thoughts on that? Like moving somewhere and what's the right timing as far as getting started? Because I guess uh, in my experience and Brian, I'd be curious to your take on this because we come from the same tribe. It would be like... um, I always thought, man, it's like your first day, as soon as you arrive, you're having meetings and you're getting the ball rolling, as opposed to, uh, I could see per- potentially losing some momentum by just waiting around too long. Any any thoughts on that either way? Yeah, Brian, I'd love to hear that. Even in your approach to East, I'll answer that question, even in East Africa, man. What was that? Did you take that approach? Yeah. Um, well, East Africa was a little bit of a different story because we had we had to, and I, I think this is true with all church planting, you have to learn the culture you're going into and be able to adapt, um, not to compromise, obviously, with your convictions, but adapt to what uh, the culture is that you're going into. That's true anywhere you go. It's true here in Florida, up in Colorado, uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, but uh, what we did, I did something different this time because I'm, I'm kind of with Nick on this where, you know, I've always been of the mentality, let's have a plan. Let's have a strategy. You know, I'm very entrepreneurial, Nathan. I don't know if you knew this about me, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm pastoral, I promise. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm like, uh, let's just get it. Let's get in there. Let's get going. Let's, let's plan it out. And as soon as we hit the ground, let's do this. In Africa, it was a little bit different because we literally, we did not know anything. We were very young. We went with a team. I wasn't the lead uh, pastor on that church plant. Although I did become the senior pastor very soon after the plant started, um, but it's there's a learning curve there. Um, but this one in Florida, that it was just much different in this way too, because my brother was like that. He was like, "Let's get going, let's get started." Uh, Josiah, you know, we would meet together, we would talk about strategy and stuff. But I just felt, you know, let's just let's just relax a little bit. Let's just wait on the Lord. I mean, it almost it almost sounded like a cop-out even in my own mind, like let's wait on the Lord here rather than we could actually be doing something. And, you know, all those verses come to mind, like, you know, when the master comes, will he find his workers doing what they're called to do? You know, so you're like, let's, we need to do something. You know, the Lord's coming back soon and all that. But there's that balance of wait on the Lord. And we did, and we just met on the beach for the first six months. We met Thursday nights on the beach. And, um, you know, we're looking for a building, but we weren't trying to force anything. If it wasn't the right fit, we just didn't do it. We could have made it happen. You know, we can make these things happen, but I really felt like God was going to do it um, in this way and this time. And I guess my, my contribution would be it depends on where you're at and what God's calling you to do in that season. Because we've also had success, like what you're talking about, Nick, up in Bellingham, Washington, when we started the church. We just went in. You know, I had a year of support from our sending church. So I th- <laughs> I was like, <laughs> we better get going because I've only got a year of full-time support to do this full-time. And uh, so that, we hit the ground running big time there. And it worked out, you know, it, it worked out. But here it was different. I guess it's different everywhere, but uh, 
I don't know. What do you think, Nathan? Yeah, I, I think the, at least in the American context, I can't speak to the international context, but in the American context, there's a high, I find that there's a high level of value to just honesty, genuineness, you know, that this kind of overused word, authenticity. Um, and so therefore, when we came here, our ambition was to start a church. You know, you, of course, you read, Paul shows up to cities, he drops into Thessalonica, goes and finds the nearest synagogue, starts preaching the gospel, and boom, he starts forming people, right? So, you know, that, that was sort of the approach we, we took as we moved here. And when people asked us why we moved here, they, we would just tell them, well, we're trying to start a church, you know, and they would always go like, really? Like, what is that? How do you do that? And we would always answer like, I don't really know. So uh, come back and find out. So I thought it was helpful to just be straightforward in why we moved there and not try to hide that in any way. That, does, that didn't mean we would kind of hit them with the gospel hook right there, but we were just... You know, if somebody said they moved here to go work for the State Department, they would say we moved here to work for the State Department. And so in the same way, we moved, we moved here to start a church. And that often led to all kinds of good conversations. Uh, matter of fact, that question alone led to probably the most evangelistic conversations in the first year. And so I would say it's not I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer here. But for us, we find a high level of helpfulness by just being straightforward and honest and humble as to why we moved into this town and what we were endeavoring to do. Uh, and it led to a lot of good conversations. So I would say, you know, yeah, insofar as it fits your context, you know, and you're able to, you might not be able to start the church. There might be some mitigating circumstances, but insofar as you're ready, man, if that's why you move there, man, just tell people that, let them know and see how, see what the Lord does. But I would say speed, you don't have to go fast. That doesn't mean you have to go fast. So speed is not our another marker of success, right? We're, yeah, we started gathering people in October, just did a book club, and we wound up covenanting in March. Maybe that was too fast. Maybe that was too slow. I don't know. But we shouldn't try to hurry there. I would not want to hurry there. Just in the same way, we should not hurry to lay hands on an elder, right? So in the same way, we ought not lay hands on a church. Be careful. Be deliberate into what to your form and to the people understanding. Hmm. That's good stuff. Nick, um, I mean, <laughs> you planted up in, in Colorado, but you've been in a pretty established church. I'd love to go back to the topic because in the book, um, you talk about the successful, uh, what is success of a church plant, but also what are we looking for in a leader, a successful leader? Nick, in Cultivate, we, we put a lot of emphasis on the, um, you know, just try, trying to find out, you know, wh who is this person? that we're sending out or that we're helping the local church send out um, a lot of uh, work on training and equipping and that sort of thing. I mean, what would you say were some of the most, the biggest things that we're looking for, Nick, in that, in as far as a leader of these church plants? Yeah. I mean, here we would be on the same board with Nathan, what you've written in your book that um, we would look at, um, for example, Titus chapter one, where he's talking about, you know, he wants, uh, Paul wants Titus to take these believers who've been, you know, evangelized in Crete, and he wants to form them into churches. So what does he need to do? He needs to um, identify, appoint, and, well, identify, train, and then appoint leaders. But if you look at the criteria that he gives for that, it is, it's all about character. It's character, mm -hmm. and then there's like one quality, which I think is not necessarily character, but it's a determined approach to this person has to um, hold fast to the word of truth and be willing to teach it and to correct people. 
And so that's not necessarily a character trait, but it's, it's a, it's a willingness on this person's part. And, uh, I guess a quality you could say about that person, but what you don't see in there is, is necessarily, I guess what we think of like oratory skills, leadership abilities, those are things that can be taught. And that's actually one of our goals, right? Because uh, I would say, as Nathan's pointed out, well, we're not entrepreneurs. We are pastors who God is using to go out and start new works and to shepherd people. And yet, on the other hand, I mean, if you don't have some type of skill, like if you if you are just, you know, driving people away by your lack of organizational skill, by your lack of speaking skills, I mean, those things need to be cultivated, but they can be cultivated. Mm. So first of all, we're looking for character. We're looking for heart for the Lord. We're looking for pastors. Uh, and then we can train around competencies or at least staff around competencies. Hmm. Interesting. That's good. Uh, Nathan, I laughed so hard and when I was reading that chapter um, where you're talking about how the, the guy told you he's leaving the church because you, you're boring, because your preaching was boring. <laughs> and I just thought of this. I thought of the scenario oh, yeah, like, that man, was... that sucks. So and it's true. It's like we're not looking yeah. for... Um, I being a, a, a charismatic, sure? <laughs> yeah, we've all been there, but um, we're not looking for the, you know, preaching is such an important part of a church plant. And, you know, there's so much emphasis on, you've got to be a great communicator like this pastor that we see on TV, or you got to, you know, have this charisma and to say the funny stories. And, you know, Andy Stanley's a great example, a great communicator and all that sort of thing. But sometimes we get too focused on that. And um, we miss out on what is the character like Nick is talking about. And so bring us, bring us back to that, Nathan, your thoughts on the preacher. We, we, we know that being boring is not the, um, uh, you know, that's not what we're, we're not looking for excitability or exciting preaching in the first point. But what's the balance there? Because I've been to some churches that are just dead because there's no good preaching. Yes. No, it, it's a great question, brother. And it's an appropriate question. Yeah, because we're not, as I've said, we're not we're not trying to get rid of being entrepreneurial and these kinds of things, nor are we trying to get rid of char charisma and saying that doesn't matter at all. You know, uh, you know what we're trying to say is we're trying to emphasize the things that Scripture emphasizes, and so therefore, if I could go back to that moment, you know, the, the, when that brother said that to me, the the irony was is I was feeling it. I already felt before he said it. I was just <laughs> crushed, and it was like month six already, and I was, I felt what he was saying. Uh, but my response to him was, that was all the Lord, because I loved my, re my response was, you know, do you want me to entertain you? Is that your, is that your, is that your uh, expectation of me? And I think that there's a lot of people in, the, in the America where they think the pa pastor's job is to, yeah, maybe feed them the word, but it's also to kind of entertain them. And I, need, I think we need to reject that. So I think to answer your question, Brian... Uh, that line from Martin Lloyd-Jones, so helpful, where he says the preacher must never be dull and he must never be boring. There is something, something radically wrong with dull and boring preachers. And he goes on to say, this is important, he goes on to say, how can a man be dull when he is handling such themes? In other words, what Lloyd-Jones is saying is it's not about charisma. It's not about deportment. It's not about sort of personality, more so than what Lloyd-Jones is pointing us to. It's about your allure of Christ, your excitement, your interest in Jesus and his gospel. How in the world can someone stand in front of people 
and call them to Jesus if they themselves are not in some way excited or delighted in Christ and his gospel. And what's going to come out of that, however it looks, is, is you're not going to be dull or boring in your preaching or in your ministry or discipleship and evangelism because in, however it looks for you, you're going to be excited about Christ. And if you're excited about Christ, that's going to come out however it looks. It may not come out like Andy Stanley. Uh, it may not come out like me. But in some way, that excitement about Jesus will manifest itself, and it ought to. But it's never intended to be uh, done in such a way as to be entertaining. But it's, done, it's to be done in such a way as to be exciting because you're excited about your content of Christ. That's great. Uh, man, I think we could talk about this uh, all day. I've got, you know, I, I just encourage our listeners to get your book. We're going to put a link in the show notes. And um, I actually, uh, I got the book on uh, on Kindle. Um, I think you can get the audio book too. Isn't that right, Nathan? We can um, listen to it in our cars. After, the, after we listen to the That's podcast. Yeah. yeah, after we listen to the podcast episode, we can do that. But uh, we're going to we're gonna um, call it on that great point, yes. Nathan, to yes. just say... Uh, um, you know, the, it's all about Christ. Do people see Christ in you? And that there's something attractive about the gospel and keep it simple. That's our motto here. And in, in our church, mm -hmm. keep it simple. You know, we don't have to be entrepreneurial. We don't have to have all this charisma in the world. You can plant a church. God can use you, whoever you are. And I think that's the, the encouragement. So go check out Nathan's book and uh, Nick's book while you're at it, if you're on a book buying spree. And then I'll write a book. You could buy it too in a couple of years maybe. But um, it was great having you guys on the show. Uh, Nathan, uh, I appreciate it so much taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us here. And I uh, just appreciate you and your ministry. And uh, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank God for y'all's ministry and your listeners. May the Lord continue to use us all for his glory. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, you bet. Good being on here with you. Yep.